How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. I'm Jake. And you're listening to Cinema Sasha Podcast, episode 191. Ah, <sighs> no flag, man, or Zeke. No. No. We got the heave hoed out of the finals. It's probably by the most insulting team there is. Yeah. That was a, a shame. But I, you, I look, I'm happy. I'm happy that we sort of embraced it when we did. Ooh. Because it's kind of like your grandfather's 90th birthday. Well, like, when it comes around, you just have to celebrate it. Because you never know if there's ever going to be another one. So I'm glad we did it last week, Zeke. This is true. This is Before. true. And um, here's to Dave Mundy. <laughs> to Dave best, Mundy. Best free player. Mm. Come at me. It's not Matthew Pavlich. It's Dave me. Mundy. Any day of the week. I miss Pavlich. I got a signed thing from him years and years ago. There you go. Well, he's yeah. still around. He's not dead. Yeah, well, yeah. But... Unlike the Queen. <laughs> 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 That's not that funny. <laughs> Some deadpan oh, delivery. No. Um, yeah, got, obviously got last week the the queen passed away. <sighs> yeah, you yeah. reminded me so aptly just then. Yeah. So and we're doing Point Break. <laughs> <laughs> kind of wish perfect. we had done. I don't know. Something a little bit more classy. Well, I was about to say, could we have predicted it? But maybe maybe you could have. Yeah, but and, what, you just do Queen remakes, do you? The Iron... Oh, no, that's not even the Queen, is it? What's the... <laughs> the Crown? We just start reviewing <laughs> we'll do, Yeah, we'll do TV shows now to do The oh, Crown. Yeah. i got to watch it, but it looks great. Of course it looks great. And Mum's been watching Peaky Blinders lately. Mm, that looks great. I almost yeah. did the Peaky Blinders haircut. i got to send you the photo. Really? You yeah, with the sort of the side shaved yeah. off, and then why didn't you go uh, something different? Well, the the problem is, I I think I have to go to a barber to do it properly because the back of my I could you just can't do it all yourself. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Why didn't you just go to a barber? Oh, I was too. It was already midnight at that point. I shaved half my head off, and <laughs> I had to commit at that point. Yeah, next time we're we're doing the Peaky Blinders for summer. Oh, but I Jake, like it. before we jump into anything we've watched during the week, mm. have you got some trivia for me? I do. So of course we're talking about Point Break. As you mentioned, a great film to do in honour of the Queen's passing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. American you... film about bank robbers. Yeah, exactly. With a bit of a... Catherine A bit Bidow. of an erotic uh, thing to it as well, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll get into. But um, speaking of uh, Top Gun comparisons, which I'm going to make many of uh, this week, not only was Matthew Broderick uh, offered the role of Johnny Utah, I guess he declined it, but others who auditioned for the role include Johnny Depp, Charlie Sheen, Willem Dafoe, and Val Kilmer. There's there's your Top Gun reference right mm. there, which I thought was quite interesting. Because I gotta say, I I mean you you could probably get a Johnny Depp to do that role, but I think I think Keanu, as we will talk about, there's a, there's a bit of a Keanu charm to this film. Absolutely, that only Keanu can deliver. But what about you? What's your what's your fun facts? Well, I'll just throw it over to his co-star, mm. um, probably the equally billed Patrick Swayze, who was really at the height of of, of Swayze mania. Swayze uh, mania, let's go. Well, obviously, riding sort of the uh, the highs of Dirty Dancing and, mm. and moving into this and shooting this in simultaneous nature with mm. ghosts, mm. which was another massive Patrick Swayze film. A very looking, erotic poster of the ghost. I'm yes, a right completely else. different genre. But mm. to to a testament to Swayze, who a lot of people didn't have a lot of bad things to say about him, who passed away in the the early mid two thousands. 
of uh, prostate cancer, I think. I think it was one of the, it was prostate or... Um, might be getting that wrong and I'll correct it during the show. But, <laughs> you know, this is a testament to sort of his authenticity to the character he was playing, which he did show a lot of relatability, but he was an accomplished skydiver, which oh. skydiving plays a big part in this film about trust just a, and just a faith and <laughs> serves as a perfect midpoint and climactic uh, conclusion. Um, but yeah, I think that's really shows it as particularly, and he also did next to all his stunts, which right. we which now I mean, know. He sort is, of put his foot down on that, didn't he? Well, yeah, and we now know Keanu to do the same on his end. So mm. maybe this is one of those things that, you know, a younger Keanu Reeves might have been inspired by the the sentiments sure. that came through Swayze. And, you know, he's a very, obviously, you know, when we talk about particularly Keanu Reeves at this time, mm. he would have been known for Bill and Ted. Whoa. So, I mean, that's Matrix right there. But there's one word I think of when I think of the first two Bill and Ted's. I'm not allowed to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of an F-bomb. But it is quite interesting, isn't it? Mm. Um, so, what year was Speed. Speed 92. was 19... I got 94, but 94. you're right. It was afterwards, so it's not Yeah, not quite the same. That's no, okay. This is the film that really put him in the action category. Right, yeah, because I think I did read that. People sort of... If this was, yeah, he's like his first kind of action-y film, mm-hmm. and uh, he wasn't really known for doing that at this time. Yeah, he was known for stoner that. comedies. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> that is really interesting, that sort of migration. And obviously now it's like to think of Keanu Reeves not in an action film. is <laughs> a head-scratcher. But Jake... So I think, yeah, looking back, this is a very important career move for him. If this film was not on the 1,100 films to die behind me in that mm. poster. 1,100 films to die? To watch before you die. <laughs> well, that's a whole different list, Zeke. I don't know what we're doing. Um... It's not on the list, Zeke. That's unbelievable. It's not on the list. There were plenty of 1991 films we discussed last week off the show we thought about doing that are indeed on that list, but Point Break is not one of them. Yeah. I think it's silly. I will say... Would it be on yours? Well, to to your point, I think my gut reaction was going to be no, but that being said, I put Top Gun on my list when we did that a few weeks ago, several weeks ago now, however long ago that was. And when I say that, I'm like, well, I think this film does a lot of the things Top Gun did, but even better than Top Gun does. For the exact reasons that I put Top Gun on my list of 1,100 films you should watch before mm-hmm. you die. So I think, by default, I really should put this film on my list too. Purely for that, which we'll get into. But, Zeke, I'm guessing this is on your list 100%. as well. Yeah. It's my favourite like action pastime film. Yeah, well. It flo- it's just such an easy watch. Um, and I really was hoping I'd get the same sort of, you know, it was my first time watching Top Gun when we watched mm. on the show. I was hoping to get a similar thing. I enjoyed it. And there's right. a lot, we, we did deconstruct that mm. film and, and and it's nice to know that the, the sequel, so far removed, is just as good, if not, some even saying better mm. than its original. Whereas this had a 2015 uh, this Yeah, you're right. Recreation a and hit it, hit a wall. Um, I don't, I don't really even know. look at the remake. Huh? I haven't even looked at. Yeah. I, I admit I have not watched it, but mm. I know it's critically panned, and it's like, why would I? Why? It's one of those things. Yeah, it's exactly. Made, it's the same logic I have with Beauty and the Beast. It's like it was made in '92, Beauty and the Beast, and mm. the remake's made in 2017. That's only 25 years earlier, later. Yeah, and it's like 
a fairy tale. And in this case, this movie still holds up. It's fine. It's yeah, totally fine. Yeah, exactly. I was having this conversation with someone. They did the whole D23, like the Disney. Mm-hmm. They announced a million things or some marvelous of everything. And they announced Mufasa, the, Lion, I guess, prequel, Lion King prequel. But I was explaining to someone, I haven't seen the new Pinocchio. I actually kind of do want to watch it, the one on Disney Plus now. I didn't realize this Zemeckis Pinocchio is like, this is Disney's like live action equivalent remake, much like Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. Lion King. Obviously, they're doing um, Little Mermaid now, which everyone's upset for some reason about that. I mean, we're upset for all the reasons that we should be, is that they're remaking these films in the first place. But then, Yeah, but then we see what they're doing with mm. new new properties like She-Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. God, it's just scra- we can dive into it now. I mean, now that we're talking about... <laughs> Do we ever have to dive well, into Jake, it? Well, <laughs> Jake, I mean, have you, you, have you watched much in the last week? I've watched nothing in this past week. Except for the film of the week. Yeah, cool. I've only watched... I mean, you can take a wild guess what came out on Friday that I immediately sunk my teeth into. Oh, yes, of course. Um, I've I've heard they do the Mexican yellow unashamedly again (laughs) for this fifth season. The... For Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai, yes. Mexican yellow, what do you mean by that? No, just because that's the joke, is every time a character goes to Mexico on any TV show, it's just like... Yellow. I think. I think Breaking Bad's oh, the start of yes. it. Yes. No. No. I saw it. My name is Earl. Oh, <laughs> like you're a hundred percent right. Yeah. It's clearly just shot in Cal- like a more Mexican part of California, like a Southern California. Giant yellow tint. Over they put it. a yellow tint over it. <laughs> I've only seen the first half of the season. Okay. Because well, you've seen a few. In episodes. all seriousness, they've gone full Odyssey on this. They're forty minute episodes now. Oh, okay. Like they're, they're not, not used to be. They're not twenty. They used to be twenty. Okay. With, like finales being an hour. So like twenty, 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 twenty. Wow. Twenty, 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 then sixty. Yeah. Holy crap. Or like forty to sixty. So it would double its right. length for its right. finale. Jesus. And then I guess last season maybe had a couple of more longer episodes, but all of these are just forty minutes. Interesting. And yeah. in all seriousness, it's like the the general consensus has been. It's just consistently good, which, to mm. be honest, it hasn't dipped. It's right. still engaging enough. I think the characters have such si- simple, and I'm talking bare-bones simple character arcs. Okay. But it's such a passively easy watching experience. And they, I've always given this comment from the moment I started watching this show, so good at keeping you to watch the next show. It's a very sure. bingeable show mm. in the sense that if I'm being really critical, yeah, I could probably say, oh, it's probably only like a three out of five show. But it, the fact that it allows you to, to stay on board, and it's so unashamedly like 80s paraphernalia, but mm. not in the stranger thing, like, look, we're in the 80s sense, right. but the More how just the stupid, of it. Oh, okay. Stu- well, because the main characters grew up in the 80s, yeah. and one of them can't let the 80s go. So mm. it'll be like he's having like a naughty dream, and it's in an 80s. They do a Top Gun <laughs> reference this That's great. season. Like, two characters uh, yep. find out they're having a baby, and she has a dream about him being like the best Top Gun dad. <laughs> With And it's funny as, like, yeah. I legit, like, it makes you laugh. Because there's that perfect balance of, like, PG fun, yep. where... Nothing's really that, like, there's some more darker, but it's that 80s thing where it's, like, darker traumatic scenes are, like, just part of the 80s genre. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. It's just fun. Like, it's it's very much now Rebellion Evil Empire. Like, it's got mm. that feeling. Okay. Because um, the villain now is so clearly just, like, the Emperor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I kind of yeah. like that, because that's an ode to the, the classic Some... Spielbergian Lucas stuff we were talking about, the good sure. evil. New Indiana Jones trailer as well, that's out. Really? Yeah, apparently. Oh. I saw, I saw a video of Harrison Ford talking about the new... Well, I guess the new Indiana Jones... And he was like weirdly emotional about it. I was like, huh? I thought he didn't. I thought he hated everything. <laughs> but he actually is excited to see this. And Maybe. there's a famous photo with him and Short Round reuniting. Obviously, after everything, everywhere, all at once, he's come back. So that's, oh, that's cool. That's so is exciting. He, is is Short Round in? The oh, I I don't film? think so. But I think they must have just been in the same. But there's no the Shia LaBeouf, right? No. <laughs> I doubt it. Completely I completely doubt Shia LaBeouf's. We can go into the whole "Don't worry, I'm darling" very... spill. <laughs> it's it's a strange one, isn't it? It's gonna be a strange one. What if it's actually good? Then what do you do? Do you just ignore Crystal Skull's existence? Is that how you work? Around? We've done it for other franchises and other. Isn't doesn't Terminator have a couple of movies you just pretend don't exist? Yeah, and I mean the Halloween franchise has about Halloween. Eight. Star Wars. A lot of people pretend most of those films don't exist. <laughs> is this kind of re- is this a retcon or is this just a fifth film um, in the franchise? I don't know. Should I find out? There's no real reason to retcon it. I guess because they're individual one. adventures. I guess. I mean, I know like he's meant to be son or whatever. It's been a long time since I've seen. Well, Shia LaBeouf is not his. Is his actual son? Isn't it? I think so. That's what I remember. Untitled fifth Indiana Jones film upcoming, blah blah blah. Oh, James Mangold's directing. I forgot about that. That's exciting. That is very. That exciting. is very exciting. Uh, first installment not to be directed by Steven Spielberg, nor with the story written by George Lucas. So there you go. There's a little tie in there. Do 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 do. Reprising their roles. Do, 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 do. Um, first film of the series be distributed by Walt Disney after the Lucas Films acquisition 2012. Um. Lucas began researching potential plot devices in 2008. Although the project stalled for years, he passed the project to Kathleen Kennedy in 2012, where she became president of blah, 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 blah. We know all this. Um, I'm not really getting an answer here. She's like the godmother what? of movie franchises. <laughs> yeah, well that, I mean, that's the position when you're in that Disney... Needs a dark, silhouetted light around her. <laughs> you're in that Disney uh, seat, I tell you. Yes, the ring. Um, yeah. It's not really telling me... Um, refer to long development. It's not telling me. I'm sure the answer's there. I just can't find it right now. Well, we'll find out regardless. It's probably, like you said, if it's in the trailer. Yeah, there is a, I'm pretty sure there's a trailer out there right now. So we can jump on that. Considered yeah. writing next to you, but ultimately felt... No. See, I'm not getting an answer here. Is it a reboot? Is it ignoring the fourth one? I. It's probably that. It's probably what we discussed. It's probably just going like, to kind of ignore the fourth one, not outright disown it. They're probably going to kill, like, they'll do something like killing Shia LaBeouf in, like, the first bit off screen. They probably they're, gonna, they're just going to ignore him. He's not going to not exist. But then who's going to be I mean, there were, char- there were characters in the first indie that just aren't mentioned or discussed in the second one. Well. So I feel that probably he's going to well, do the same thing. Well, that's not true. Marianne's the only one that isn't, and then she rocks up in Crystal Skull, and they get married at the end. But that's what I'm saying. It's like they just kind of ignored her for two movies. So prior to Crystal Skull... True, but we're talking about those prime ones were more like James Bond-esque. Um, they were meant to be but like But why wouldn't this box. one be as well? Not going to wreck Connie's marriage? 
Because this is the thing, Uncharted kind of had a similar issue with the video game series. True. You were, where they were kind of like, how much should we retcon per adventure? By the third, fourth one, they were like, okay, well, clearly this is a linear story. They're all aging progressively. and True, but then they're also made major retcons about him being an orphan, but not really being an orphan. Or, like, he didn't have a brother, and then a brother manifested itself out of existence, yeah. right? That's the whole thing. <laughs> and I like, I've watched the whole fourth game. Right. Like, I've watched the fourth game, which is... <laughs> um, I replayed Last of Us this week. That's one thing I watched, so, quote-unquote. Yeah, I think it's, it is is one of those interesting... Well, I mean, I haven't even really watched that Last of Us trailer, really. I mean, haven't seen House of Dragons, haven't... Uh, oh, the HBO stuff. Nah. Yeah, yeah. It's been a quiet week, so I guess mm-hmm. we might as well just keep on moving. You don't have any career updates this week? Um, not necessarily. I have a screening on Thursday I'm looking forward to for a, the Screen West thing I did in January. Exciting. That's, that's exciting. There's a few things, like, on the way, which is cool. Because that's the question, Zeke. Do you prefer to talk about things you've worked on, like, in the moment? Or, like, uh, once it's all said and done, and then you reflect on the final product in addition to... I guess it depends. I mean, I think if you're Mixture more... both, I think. Yeah. A happy I, marriage. If you're like the, the writer, director, producer, DOP editor, it's way more fun to talk about it after the fact. Mm-hmm. But if like if you're like a minion on a set, then there's not really much else to say after you've actually finished working on set. Yeah. You know, unless the film is like absolutely brilliant and you're like, oh my God, this, 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 this. But then you talk about it like you talk about any other film because you didn't have a, a wholly... Create. I I laugh because I think um I was talking to Damien. He's seen pretty much what's the final cut of that film, and he said he's like, you know what I was really proud of with you on that um set. And before he could finish his sentence, I was like, my slating, like you really loved my slating and how it affected the movie. You know, me clapping that board really affect the movie. Nice. <laughs> so you see what I mean? It's like it's like me clapping a slate board. It doesn't really affect the the final movie. But nevertheless, yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> but otherwise, no, no career updates. Well, then it is time for us to move into our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching this week on the show, Zeke? We're watching Point Break. Whoa! You want to nail the bank robbers and be a big hero? Definitely. The ex-presidents are surfers. You're trying to tell me the FBI is going to pay me to learn to surf? Fear causes hesitation. Hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. You take it to the edge. Past it. This is going to be a great day, Johnny. The taxpayers of Lanka, Utah, they knew that they were paying a federal agent to surf and pick up girls. Babes. Big one. The correct term is babes, sir. Adios, amigo! In Los Angeles, a gang of bank robbers call themselves the ex-presidents. 
and they commit their crimes while wearing masks of Reagan, Carter, Nixon, and Johnson. The FBI believes that the members of the gang could be surfers and send a young agent, Johnny Utah, to undercover the beach to at undercover to the beach to mix with the surfers and gather information. That is a clunky long line. Yeah, it's not smooth. It also only explains the first 15 minutes of the movie, which I really appreciated. Very, very fast-paced movie. Yeah. A lot happens, which I I think is a good thing. So this is, this is Catherine Bigelow's directorial debut, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Directorial debut? It's got to be close. Is that true? Newest released first. She's done other stuff. The Loveless, is that a... The Loveless is a feature, but she co-directed that with Monty Montgomery. Okay, have... so Blue Steel came out before this. So. Okay, Touch by the Hand of God is a short film. Near Dark. So yeah, this is her third is a short film. film too. Okay. So, but still early in the career, only four well, years this removed. This is probably her. I mean, it's probably her most famous film from this era. Like, I feel like oh, more people. Hurt Locker, I think this would have been. No, well, this is what I'm saying. Yeah, like the Hurt Locker is probably more popular and obviously got more acclaim. It won Oscars and stuff, but this is probably the earliest film that really blew her up, perhaps. Yeah. We're saying this out of context, but based on having seen the film, and I think it still kind of has that signature masculine voice or authority of masculine voices that she has in her other films as well. Yeah, and I think it, there are dark thirties. We as did well. um, we did talk about it on the Hurt Locker that it's it sort of swings both ways. How we often go, oh, it's so tough for a man to talk about a female's perspective. But that does flip both ways. It's mm. like, this is a female director tackling the masculine um, sort of psyche. Mm. And how, you know, it, it would be very easy, especially in the 21st century, for us to watch these films and go, oh, well, what would a woman know about being a man? Wouldn't What it? would they know? Like, we yeah. could easily be sitting here being like, oh, well, this is completely un- unrealistic. This is not what men would act like. And yet, who is the demographic that like the Hurt Locker, Point Break, <laughs> Zero Dark Thirty the most? It's men. Well, I don't even think there's that removed sense of like, oh, well, this isn't how... It's like, I think it's very clearly capturing that sort of spirit, especially in the military sense. And here it's a little bit different. It's a little more of that street level and they've got the, the surfing community that are all very judgmental of, of the newbies and Johnny Utah and... I mean, all of that's there, but I was talking to my boss, Mal, about this film and he loves this film. And he, I kind of made that joke of like, this film's quite, you know, very Top Gun. It's kind of homoerotic in a lot of places. And he it's said... It's bromance. Well, it's, yeah, it's very much leading into the bromance. I mean, the catalyst of the film, like you read, when they, they, they hunch that they're surfers, literally comes from them staring at footage of their asses. <laughs> it's not very subtle at all. And, and he joked, he's like, well, of course a woman would have directed this. Like it's almost kind of like that outside perspective where she's not in it too much. She's able to see what, what the way we talk to each other is for what it is. And I actually think it shines really well in that. And while kind of making fun of it as well, the homoerotic aspect of the film. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I think this is a great film. And you said last week, Zeke, this is a, you said a guilty pleasure, which I was very curious what you meant by that. Even though it is a great film and is highly renowned, you still think of it as a guilty pleasure. And I think, I mean, that's exactly why. It hits all those beats, the dramatic beats, but ultimately there's like a silliness to this film that I think is kind of why yeah. you might psychologically I, put it in that I think camp. that's sort of where you look at it. Because you, as a 
I think this comes back to the the cinephile nature mm. of things, where you know we're talking about these. We've had beautiful, prolific films that are poetic and mm. thought provoking, emotional, and have all these intricate layers that we'll sit here and we'll, we'll deconstruct. You know, we, how how do you go from like going, oh, I love a film like Blue Jay, where it's just mm. these two characters on this night and it's unfurling, or Before Sunrise, and then you're like. You put on Point Break and you're just like, wow, this movie's just great. I just love this. <laughs> like, I think it sits in that realm. I mean, mm. it's it, it's that, it's so, you know, you look at Keanu Reeves and like the way he delivers lines is it, it's so blunt is probably the best way of describing it. Because sure. so, it lacks almost any, what feels like any sort of emotional resonance mm. and delivery. And it's just this... You'd be forgi- I mean, you'd be forgiven to think that. Oh man, this guy's a really bad actor. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's surra- definitely... especially when he's surrounded by such. Mm. Uh, when he's his his counterpart is Swayze, sure. who's this he does so much with his face and really is a um, fantastic antagonist. Mm. Oh my that, god, he's so great! Like he's a and and you his complete charisma is there and. You know, it's that, st- and it's funny because it's like this is a guy that, to this point, is like he's a sex icon for mm. women because, yep. like, he did dirty dancing and he's like a great-looking man that can dance. Yeah, and then he goes and does a film like this, and he's got the other gender falling in love with him. <laughs> this charismatic surfer dude that brings you into his world, and yeah, you're right. It's got that that homoerotic subtext there that yeah. Top Gun has, where it's like. It's really just guys trying to instead of instead of them being all buff and f- playing volleyball and flexing, yep. instead they're doing the stoic beach watch mm. where they're like <laughs> they're just one with nature, man. But it's like yeah. the same. It's the same thing. It's very it's very similar. And like I teased earlier, I think this film kind of does that better because while Top Gun, I think it leans more into the fun side of it because it, at the end of the day, it really is Tom Cruise just wanting to fly jets and everything. And I mean, I think Top Gun's great and the sequel's yeah. great too. But I think this film dives deeper into that because you have a, such a pivotal relationship between those two, you know, between him and Keanu Reeves. And the fact that even though the dynamic should be very clear, you have the criminal and then the FBI agent who's going after the criminal. But there's just always that something, he can't turn him in. He can't kill him. He can't do any of those things. And it's like, Sure, they play with the, the, the homoerotic side of it. I mean, you could totally play this film, you know, for lack of a better word, straight and not dive into any of that. Like it's like you said, it still works as a kind of a popcorn, exciting action flick. But I think because of that relationship, you're sitting there wondering, it's like, wow, this is this is such a weird dynamic. I, I really I really like this film a lot. Especially when you've got <laughs> such iconic scenes like mm. that are like homaged in like, like um, hot, fuzz. hot fuzz. Yeah, I and, had to look that up immediately when I <laughs> saw that scene. And I, I find that amazing because that sort of film basically deacons that scene when Nick Frost is talking to Peg, and he's mm. like, "You haven't seen Point Break," like, and there's this whole like conversation about like, and they're having it's a bromance film and that it's a bromance yep. action film. Yep. Um, that definitely has that like oh, a British way of handling the sure, homoerotic subtext. Sure, more of a straight British comedy. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think that's always there in in the 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 Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright trilogy. Sure, that's dynamic. Um, the bromance, it's there. Yeah. Um, 
like you said, it is played a little bit more straight, but it is such a bro, bro, that little too much of a bro film. I mean, yeah. this well, one, I think part of it as well is the, the enticement where you are. It, it's a whole new world that Keanu Reeves is sort of entering into and sort of lured by. And I think that's part of the reason he can't really. Yeah. Where, where yeah. is it? I think that's where it differentiates. Cause in Top Gun, sure. it's, it's a measuring contest. Isn't yes. It? <laughs> and, that measuring contest almost makes the Tony Scott's almost like how that's why that subtext is there. We are sure. like, wow, this is just a little too much. Yeah. Whereas like, this is very much the like fish out of water being led into a mm. world that they don't like and buying into it yeah. too. Um, well, I think that's what a lot of the, the commentary, we don't really, you know, we don't really see the moment that he injures his leg as a, as a quarterback and I guess college or he got the scholarship yeah. to go, something like that. But they don't touch on it too much. But I think it's all there just to sort of establish that there, there's a part of I keep calling him Keanu, but it's Johnny Utah. Johnny Utah, mm. um, isn't that his name in Cyberpunk? Johnny something? Johnny Sabers? Johnny? Yeah, something. I think Johnny um, Sabers like, a porn name yeah, in yeah. Red Rocket or something like that. But I think they put it in there to establish there is a world that he feels like he's been, um, like that's been ripped apart from Johnny Utah because he's ended up having to go as this FBI agent and he's he's a great agent. We see it in the opening scene, the juxtaposition between the the cool, calm waves. Oh, so and good. Then, yeah, and then like the the loud, rough, you know, sh- the shells of the gun ringing as he shoots the targets, and it's a great juxtaposition. The, the, with what they do, what with Bigelow does with the the camera in this is fantastic. Mm. The the man versus nature reflecting the man versus themselves conflict is so clever and it's it, it's mostly bookending it's literally mm. in the epilogue and the, uh, the prologue and the epilogue yeah, yeah with you know like that start when you've got the crashing of the waves and then the, the shooting gallery scene mm. and then that's flipped over to the the final scene at bell's beach yeah and the same sort of um waves crashing high tension scene it's so great I think. Yeah, I didn't even think about that as yeah, how it's gone from something to embrace is common and by the end it is rough and tumble and and it, it's a very fatal <laughs> it's a fatal wave that he's surfing at the end there. Yeah. And um and even then to go into Johnny's decision to just let him do it. Because I think I don't want to use the word love, but there is some sort of emotion between them. Yeah. Where Johnny he can't he can't rip Almost like, uh, I'm going to be very poetic here, almost like his life was almost ripped away from him with his knee injury. And, of course, that keeps coming up in the film where he's unable to catch him because of the knee injury. Um, but then, you know, when it comes to its it's body, I guess, body. Bodhi. Bodhi, that's it, Bodhi. Um, you know, he won't rip that life away from him, even if it's going to kill him. He's going to let him do that last wave. So yeah, I, I see all the ways those are tied together, which is The love nice. thing, isn't it? It's, yeah. uh, it's... There's certainly a version of love in there. For sure. I mean, uh, I think it obviously, it doesn't have the same sort of, I think what we're seeing here though, is we are seeing the groundwork for what becomes the Hurt Locker. Sure. Obviously the Hurt Locker has um, the power of context of the time, having troops in Afghanistan. Mm. So it had such a, an, a residual effect on people watching that and being like, wow, this is such a contemporary film of the time and being so important. And then, stakes and the fatality whereas this is a little more dumb popcorn fun but mm. uh, I, and this one's obviously taking a way more anti-establish 
like man versus the machine sort of sure, situation. Yeah. And it's associating the criminality of robbing banks with the freedom of, of surfing and skydiving. And I thought that was really cool how those all, they kind of made those all part of one collective idea. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Anti-establishment, like you said. Yeah. And I mean, what's a film that 25 years on from this film goes and does it? Hell or High Water. <laughs> it does. Anti-establishment. Yeah. It's for the righteous cause and has two brothers at the centre of it. So, there you, go. you know, uh, is this film... I think this film creates a lot of action residual effects because of how tight it is mm. in terms of the... Robin Hood dining, you know, you could argue it's, oh, it's got like the Robin Hood folklore dynamic to it. Sure. You don't like really any of the cops except like Gary Busey's character, who's the least traditional cop on the planet, you know, and (laughs) it's just a bit of a nutcase. He's a bro. He's a bro. (laughs) Yeah. And he's likable enough that, you know, his death obviously has that, um... It has the impact. It does have the impact, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, no, it feels like no one wins in the end of this. But the, I think what has always stuck out for me every time I've watched this is how much I buy into that final heist and how much oh, tension... Oh, when, when it all goes to hell. And I didn't yeah. see a heist scene that good until I watched Hell or High Water's final heist scene mm. and that elongated saga, which I was, like, blown away by in that one. But this one has the same sort of dynamic, but it has way more moving parts. It does, and I think I think that's what's so important to this film. That's what elevated me. Well, I think I gave it a whole extra star in my review, um, or at least my score that I gave it, because of the way it juxtaposes all the fun surfing, you know, um, fun of the movie, mm-hmm. and then very quickly it will shift into very dramatic scenes where I, you know, I think of the initial raid and then the chase, and then yeah, that final robbery where. Everyone's sort of pushing their luck. Well, not everybody. It's really just Bodhi that's pushing his luck. You know, taking off the mask, going into the vault. And uh, at first I thought it was just kind of a way to screw over Johnny Utah. But I think there's something deeper there. I think he really is trying to push his luck in that moment. Obviously, he ends up getting a lot of people killed. <laughs> yeah. I think it is the the, the adrenaline chasing. Mm. It's the... You know, he very much is the, the maverick of this story. Mm. Um and all of his companions are goose. Yeah. Lots of gooses. <laughs> Lots of gooses. And, Different gooses. You know, and, and Utah is always... Utah's more plain Jane character is definitely always meant to be a... He's always meant... Like, Keanu Reeves' role in this is always to be the placeholder for the audience. We're buying into the surfer's world like mm. through Utah. That's why he's a little bit more... He still has an arc, sure. But the reason we want to let Bodhi mm. go at the end. We're the ones who want to turn our gun and shoot in the air. And, yeah. and that sort of placeholder is like, for me, why he serves in this particular instance as a really good protagonist, because he makes the antagonist look so good. Like, yeah. And well, like you said, he's sort of the audience is serving that same, not purpose, but it's gone on that same journey of being so enticed by this character and being unable to, I mean, I don't know how I felt. Did I want him to get arrested at the end? I guess sort of, but I can totally see the the charisma that he has and that relationship is sort of is this flirtatious relationship between these two worlds that he's one he's been dragged into. I thought it was just so well done, mm. so subtly done as well. Because initially, my thinking was the movie was going to end after that second skydive when Johnny Utah jumps out without the parachute. Mm. 
and that's a great scene. And yet again, they're sort of doing that test where they're both holding on to each other. And at what point, how low to the ground do you finally set that parachute off? And, uh, you know, you're really like, wow, these are going to just die together. And he ultimately doesn't do it. But I generally thought the movie was going to end there when he says, oh, I'll see you in the next life. And I thought that would be an interesting place to leave that relationship. But they end up taking it to the next level. And ultimately, I'm glad they have that beach scene. Because I, I think it does have the finality that you need. Not only with, with him, with Bodhi dying in the waves, but then also Johnny Eater throwing the FBI badge. Yeah. And like, what sort of arc does that complete in, in well, sense of... I, I think it's that... His sense know. of justice is skewed? Yeah, I, I think it's more that like it's the like the the full succumbing to nature mm. and letting you know if he survives that wave he deserves to keep running right and that's the belief that's the ethos of Swayze's Bodhi like is the fact that we may die mm. but if we die you know operating under our own rules under our own um, actions and and that's the belief of his followers. Sure, is the reason they all go skydiving is because they could die. Their mm-hmm. parachute could fail and die. But it's the fact that, boy, are they going to have a fun? Like they'd rather die tomorrow right, and live free. Done. Yeah, and that's the ethos. So, and that's Utah's completion from becoming from establishment this clean cut, angelic baby face football star. <laughs> just yep. Something didn't go his way, and that's why he's in this system. And he, and he, it's him fully inherently giving up on the system. Yeah. Which, you know, the only reason it kind of clawed him back in is because of the, you know, the death of Busey, who mm. his character. I think that that was like what seizes off that that plane sequence. But it's good you have that epilogue there because yeah, what you're seeing is it's him making that decision and letting nature decide that because that's the only way it should. Just like nature decided he couldn't play football again. And yeah, I think it's it's really, really solid. Yeah, I think that's exemplified that specific arc we're talking about. I think it's exemplified. Would you say the raid is probably the midpoint in the film? That's when his identity yeah. cover starts falling apart. Um, but you also have the other um, agent, the undercover agent, if you will, who really does juxtapose Johnny in the sense that he's almost doing it the correct way, mm-hmm. where he's, you know, Bid, I was going to say bided, not bided, bid his time. And he says he had like three months worth of activity completely tracked and documented. And he's obviously frustrated that his job is being sort of mm-hmm. infiltrated. But you compare that to Johnny, who at this point is sleeping with Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> he's completely like um, be- melted into this, um, not really a character, because they, they do call him Johnny Utah. He he doesn't have like a fake name or anything, does he? No. Yeah, because he's at, because this. That's a good point. I only just realized this. It's not that he's creating a fake identity. He's leaning into the the original identity because they all recognize him as the quarterback from years ago. So I think I think that definitely pushes that that idea. Yeah, and a quarterback doesn't really line up for an FBI informant. No, like the, the two are or a lawyer, which is probably the one like true lie that he outright continues mm. throughout. The rest of it, he just doesn't, he just doesn't, he forgets to mention it, Zeke. Oh, by the way, I'm an FBI agent. <laughs> Do you have anything else you'd like to add, Jack? Yeah, I think, um, you know, just to go back quickly onto the 
sort of that masculine perspective we were talking about. Sure. And, and I think it even goes into those little lines. I wrote some of these lines down. The um, young, dumb, and full of cum. I mean, I've heard that a million times from people. I don't know if this is the film that originated that line. Potentially. Hmm. I don't know. But then you got like like a virgin on prom night. You just got all these kind of... Just the, the general attitude and the lines spat out. And my favorite is probably... Um, I, I guess the female like technician is looking up the ID details for Tyler, looking up the license plate. And um, they read that she's been arrested or fined multiple times for indecent exposure in her car. And she's just like, that's hot. <laughs> so I think it's just all those little mannerisms and lines there that really, I really think make Bigelow and um, just such a fascinating director in that sense. And I kind of compare her to Michelle McLaren, who hasn't, She's more done like TV, like Game of Thrones and Breaking mm-hmm. Bad and that. Um, but, yeah, just having a female director that also is okay with having these, like, drug dens and, like, naked women running around with, you know, no clothes on, stabbing people. And I just kind of like that she's committed to that, mm-hmm. like, vision, I suppose, and that world of, of um, masculinity is probably mm-hmm. the best way to put it. I, I just wanted to write some of those lines down because I thought that was quite interesting. But, yeah. Would you say, Zeke? Yes. In terms of video game equivalents, mm-hmm. I think Heat is probably the Grand Theft Auto Five equivalent. Straight up. Would you say Payday 2 is the Point Break equivalent? <laughs> yeah, look, this... this, And you can get the mask in Payday 2, but boy, That's true, yeah. How good is Payday 2? It's probably like the <laughs> most... I cannot wait. I think there is a Payday 3 coming. Oh, that that's cool. That might be the thing that brings me out of my game cave. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it makes robbing bags look cool. Yeah, it does. I mean, you're right. The mask is like the main thing. I mean, there's mask and heat in GTA as well. But I mean, I mean more. It's more the tone that I'm thinking of. Where this yeah. is a bit more silly, and they're sort of embracing the mask characters. Where he's like, "I'm not a crook." Yeah, and they're playing into the the ex president roles, which I think is really clever. It is really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. It's the iconography part. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. What cements itself into the, like, the classic bank robbers, you know, next to um. Dog Day Afternoon and even films like that. I mean, that has less of the iconography because they kind of just go in. I mean, the iconography of that film is the 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 box of flowers or chocolates mm-hmm. with the with the rifle sort of shotgun yeah. hidden in it. That's where the iconography comes in, and then they redo that in in Terminator Two. But you're right for here. It's the mask. It's the personalities mm-hmm. of the robbers, which again, even in like Dark Knight, uh, the Dark Knight is reinforced with the clown mask and the. Um, just how smart they are as robbers until they push their luck at the end. <laughs> but so I wanted Jake, to give that shout out. Mm. What was your highlight scene? Um, it has to be the chase scene. The yeah. on-foot chase. It's, oh my God. It's, it's what they do with the camera. Yes, and I was writing this because they had it on some of the IMDb trivia. The GoPros before GoPros. The GoPros before GoPros. They called it the Pogo Cam. So essentially what they described it was the a Pogo-pros. stripped down... Yeah. They stripped down 35mm camera, about 18 pounds, and I think it was also equipped with a Steadicam. So what they're able to do is sort of get this lightweight camera that can go right up, you know, both mm-hmm. their asses essentially, Johnny Utah and, and let's call him Reagan in this scenario, um, to get to capture all those different varieties of hallways and houses and even scenarios where, like, they're throwing the dog at him. and <laughs> I just, I'm like, this is probably one of the coolest chasings of all time. And, and specifically the on-foot stuff. But there's the whole car lead-up to that. I even just love the way they show Johnny Utah getting mm. the... You know, he's getting lunch, and then the camera just slowly moves a little to the left, and the bank robber's coming with the car, and 
just like a perfect example of how quick and um, uh, effectful, I guess, uh, the the robbers are is that they can kind of swoop in and out that quickly that you turn your head and you only notice the car. Mm. Um, obviously, bad timing. They still caught him leaving, but I just thought that still entire good. chasing was from that point is just excellent, excellent filmmaking. What about you? What's your highlight scene, Zig? It's got to be the final heist. The final heist, mm. the way the tension builds. Right, it all falls uh, apart. <laughs> all falls apart. I think Gromit's the one that gets shot. Right. Um, or Grom, I think his name is. The youngest Bo one. Bo Jesse Christopher. What a yes. name. It's not Bojack, it's Bo Jesse. Um, <laughs> it's the yeah, Aaron Paul it's, crossover. It, it, it's just classic rules of tension writing, isn't it? Mm. Um, and the way it unfolds. And sort of having Johnny as this... Um, sort of useless participant sure well more more so a reluctant yeah. participant yeah, yeah. and I, I even i love the way that obviously I, I you're right part of the tension comes from even just how long the scene is mm-hmm. because you're so used to all the robberies up until that point being so short and so quick but then you have the off-duty cop who like you know starts to pull his gun out and he's he's explained to the security guard and he's not going along with it so they build that whole thing up and i love just how quickly he goes in, gets the shot, turns to Johnny Utah, and just how quickly he's like, FBI, agent, FBI, bam, yeah. still shot in the chest. Love it. That No, it's a great scene. And just the fact that it's like the whole kind of spiral is almost like a free fall at that point. The free fall spiral of the ex-president's uh, mischievous uh, activities. It's <laughs> so a great final jump scene too. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. But yeah, just all excellent. No worries. Point Break mm-hmm. is not out on any streaming platforms except SBS On Demand. Yes, so before you go on YouTube and pay $15, check SBS On Demand. You can watch it for free, free with ads. And I have to say, SBS, they're very good at picking their ad spots. Yeah. they. I reckon they go through each individual film and like pick their ad spots because it feels so... It feels like you're watching on TV. Like they pick the... It's not like it's just halfway through a scene. It's always a great scene transition. Mm. It's always a good moment to catch your breath. It's really great. So, SPS on Demand, well done. Fantastic. There you go. Well, speaking of streaming platforms, Jake, mm. what's new to streaming platforms like SBS on Demand this week? Oh, it's a bit of a quiet week, but, you know, we're never going to complain about that. you got coming to Netflix, Do Revenge, which is Camilla Mendez and Maya Hawke decide to go after each other's bullies in this Hitchcock, Strangers on a Train-inspired black comedy. Um, seems fun. Mm. Sort of a high school romp. Sort Something of different. Thing. Yeah, exactly. I know The Simpsons did a Hitchcock parody in, like, season 20, 20 21, Treehouse of Horror. It's great. The whole thing's black mm. and white. Lisa, I mean, Lisa and Bart plan to kill each other's teachers, like okay. Miss Hoover and Ms. Grubble, and that, that's a lot of fun, but that's coming to Netflix. Disney Plus, you've got a documentary following Doris Munro's, Mun- uh, who's a music talent manager, and an auspicious, auspicious, auspicious young singer, Jax, who share an ever-present guilt of being the first... American-born members of their undocumented families. Not American-born. I guess that's correct. The idea that like the families could be deported and that like it seems like it seems like an interesting documentary. It's definitely not leaning into the music as much as it is the deportation storyline. So that's exciting. You also got Leave No Trace coming to Disney Plus. Oh, Thomas and Mackenzie. I gotta watch this. Fantastic. I film. gotta watch this film. So there it is. I have no and excuse now. Ben Foster. Now. Ben Foster. Beautiful. I love it. Speaking of uh, Hella High Water. Yeah. 
Coming to Prime, you've got Goodnight Mummy, which is a remake of the 2014 Austrian film with the same name. It sees two twin boys arrive at their mother's house, played by Naomi Watts. Naomi Watts. But they begin to suspect that it may not be their mother at all. Now, I, I find this funny because I can totally see this being based on like a foreign film because it's like that weird visual of like her entire face is covered in like bandages. So she's like pretending to be their mother and there's something weird going on. There's a shot in the trailer straight up you just see her entire face like if you pause it on youtube you just see her face i was like why did why did, in this day and age why would you put that shot in a trailer very strange but i've heard the the original's great oh. so hopefully they um they can redo that coming to binge this week you got the matrix resurrections there's your keanu okay. uh, throwback and come on come on hell yeah good for a rewatch leak could be good the new matrix movie no for come on come on oh yeah, 100% would give that a go. Oh, yeah. Listen to our podcast on it. It's a good one. It was great. Oh, man. What's Reminded what... me of a quick quick plug for a TED Talk that I just listened to. It was a Ethan Hawke speaking about embracing creativity and talks a lot about poetry, and I'm covering poetry mm. with uh, some of my kids, and it was it was quite interesting. It reminded me of Come On, Come On with the, the literature speckled yeah. throughout. Nice. I like the little shout-out there. Very good. And finally, coming to cinemas, well, finally, we have a bunch coming to cinemas. We have Moonage Daydream, documentary written, directed, produced, and edited by Brett Morgan, using previously unused footage from personal archives and live concerts of the one and only David Bowie. Very exciting stuff. Speaking of documentaries, you have Clean, which gives us a fly-on-the-wall insight into the world of trauma cleaning with larger-than-life business owner Sandra Pankhurst, P-A-N-K-H-U-R-S-T. It's like Monique Brocklehurst. My actress from Disconnected. There you go. There's a little connection right there. Tickets to Paradise sees a divorced couple, George Clooney and Julia Roberts, travel to Bali to stop their daughter from making the same mistake they did 25 years ago. That's a good write-up. I like that. I like this sort of contemporary, anti-marriage sort of thing that that films and comedy films are doing now. Which I not not that I have anything against marriage per se. But I just I think it's cool that films are at this point where it's like oh, that's a bit of a taboo thing to say. Mm. You know, it's usually you want to be pro marriage. Yeah, you know, Republicans. Ugh. And um, which I thought uh, Ready or Not could have been could have been more in that line. But anyway, there's your George Clooney, Julia Roberts comedy coming this week. You also have the Railroad Children Return, which is a sequel to the 1970s film. Follows a group of children who were evacuated to the Yorkshire village during the Second World War. So the original film is The Railway Children, which I think itself is based on a book of the same name. I think so. And then this is the sequel where they return. Very excited. Are you excited, Zeke? Absolutely. For this fun-filled World War II sure. movie? You know it. <laughs> Very exciting. And finally, we had Bodies, Bodies, Bodies Going Wide. I mentioned it last week. And Palace Cinemas is doing a rescreening of Koya Nascotsi this oh, Friday go. the 16th. That sounds dope. You gonna go? Oh, I I really would like to. I gotta check what I'm doing on the Friday, but that sounds dope. You have to see going to Scott's in the big screen. It's great. Episode thirty-two. Whew, going way back. I love it. That was a long time ago now. Long time. Yeah, I know. We were, still, we were still studying at Murdoch. We were <laughs> back in the day. Good stuff. But that's Zeke. Everything coming to streaming in cinemas. Almost everything. Almost. Oh, only the good stuff. Only the good stuff. I don't report every movie. It's a lot of movies. Well, we're moving into another film next week, but Jake, what are we watching? 
Yeah, well, it's funny because this film comes from a streaming service that we haven't even mentioned yet today. <laughs> yes, this is a film that you have been talking up a storm. I have been. It's my, in fact, my favourite film of 2020, even though technically it's a 2019 release. So it's a little controversial. bit... Controversial. Uh, probably controversial. I mean, I, I can't wait to rewatch this and find out. We're going to have to go on Moby, get a free week subscription for Moby to watch The Swallows of Kabul. <laughs> My mother wears a burka, my father does it too. I have to wear a burka, the burka is blue. J'aimerais te renseigner, mais je ne peux pas le faire à l'école coranique. Mais tu sais qu'il y a une autre école, une école secrète. On arrive à apprendre aux enfants la littérature, l'art, l'histoire, la fraie. On a besoin de gens courageux et cultivés comme toi. Mais c'est merveilleux. Imagine, éduquer des enfants à être libres. Oh là là, j'étouffe là-dessous. Attends, je vais t'aider. Oh, vous voyez pas, c'est interdit, stop J'ai tout aller à la mosquée, j'ai écouté le prêche, moi là-bas, chien. Ça te remettra les idées en place. Je dois amener mon épouse chez ses parents. Qu'est-ce que tu as amener une nouvelle prisonnière. Et alors Et alors Aujourd'hui, la nouvelle prisonnière a ôté son cintré devant moi. Tu lui as parlé Non. Est-ce que tu sais quelque chose de la femme qu'on a emmenée C'est un couple sans problème, gentil. C'est fichu. Les talibans nous détruisent. Pourquoi tu t'intéresses autant à la prisonnière Je te préviens, la cérémonie est très attendue. C'est la seule femme programmée, alors tu fais ce qu'on te dit. Ils te tueront, Sonaira. Nous sommes-nous pas tous déjà morts depuis longtemps In the summer of 1998, the lives of two sets of couples are forever changed in Taliban-ruled Kabul. It's as simple as I want to be with that logline. Beautiful. I am looking forward to it. Love me an animation film. Oh my god, this is one of... I, I said this recently, and I actually had a similar experience with Bass and Dream, but this one, more than any other film I've ever seen in a theatre, I forgot what the real world looked like when I walked out of that cinema. Mm. So that speaks to its animation. And the soundscape. This film has impeccable sound design. But we'll get into that and more next week, I imagine, for this awesome, awesome film. No dramas. Until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Side Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. We'll catch you next week with The Swallows of Kabul. <laughs>